The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Well, welcome to OPCC. Thank you for those of you who've been asking how I'm feeling. I'm doing a lot better. Um, I did uh, get COVID, and so I survived. I was really thankful that I was able to move through it a little quicker than a lot of people. Uh, but thank you to Shay for stepping in. Thank you to Brian for uh, leading the bro bash without me. I wasn't able to make either one of those. Um, and so I really appreciate uh, you guys stepping in and, and leading out. And I appreciate all of you guys, all of you that are here this morning. I um, want you to know um, a lot of times when you're in the Word, you're challenging people, man, and sometimes it can feel like, man, the pastor's been reading my mail and he's upset with me. Well, I don't read your mail. I don't know what's really going on in your life. And, and generally, if I did know, I wouldn't preach about that specific thing to you on that specific week. But I want you to know that I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged when you come. I'm encouraged by your faithfulness. I'm encouraged by your willingness to serve, um, your faithfulness to give, and just be here on a weekly basis. And so that encourages me a lot. And I want you to know that I'm proud of you for that. Uh, and get ready, because I'm about to beat you up. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not either. Uh, we're going to talk some more about um, family. We kind of got interrupted last week, and um, we've been in this series called Patria. And for those of you who are here for the first time, we want to welcome you. And those of you joining online, we welcome you as well. We'd love to connect with you and uh, kind of keep you informed of what's going on in the church. There's a connection card there in the front of your or in the side of your worship folder, you can fill that out, let us know who you are, and, and uh, we'll put you on our mailing list and our email list and keep you abreast of all the things that are going on in the church. And so it looks like um, good things are happening here. As new folks continue to come, we're going to have to make some plans to add another service soon. Um, I'm going to need some of you to commit to that. Amen? Amen? You don't know what you just committed to, but you just committed to coming to two services, some of you. Uh, it's just, but no, we'll lay those plans out later. But anyway, it's exciting what the Lord is doing here, um, and excited for those of you that it's your first time here. Now, week one, uh, when I started this three weeks ago, I sort of laid out, like, wh what is the objective? And, and again, I, I sort of paused to, before we get into another book and go through it verse by verse. I just felt the need to kind of Felt the Lord leading me to, to deal with some of this family stuff because I was looking, I was just looking around. There are a lot of young kids here, a lot of young families. And um, it, I just saw myself, you know, it's so weird. My kids are all in middle school and high school now. I have five of them. One's out of school, one's a senior, one's a junior, and we have a seventh grader and an eighth grader. And those days, man, they just move by really quick. You just kind of blink, and you're like, wow, man, I remember when my kids were the age of Shay's kids, you know, running around, and, and uh, thank God that, that the, the roughest one we had was Jonah. We didn't have a Zeke, right? <laughs> and so uh, if you guys have met Zeke, he, he keeps them in the hospital bills. Uh, <laughs> and so, so anyway, I just look, and I go, man, like, this is so cool. And so I wanted to share from my heart a little bit about strategically what the Lord showed me and, and what I did for my, some of it's from my upbringing, but most of it really is what the Lord has taught me since I really started getting serious about following Him uh, at a young age from my uh, years in youth ministry and pastoring and just studying the Word. Uh, the most important thing to me is that I'm able to teach my kids 
what it means to follow the Lord because the most important thing to me in life is people and helping people understand what is actually true. Like what, what do we give our lives to and what is worthy of giving our lives to? Because there's so much that's going to ask for your life and you're going to trade your life for stuff. Um, even when you have an employer or you have a business, you're trading your life uh, for a certain amount of um, income. And so we have all these things competing for our attention. And the fact of the matter is the most important thing that we have is family. It is an, or, uh, an institution that was ordained of God himself. And we see that even from as Christians. And we look uh, with our worldview, we see that God ordained the family. He chose that through a man and a woman, as they come together and be one, that new souls would enter the world through this union. And God would um, populate the earth. And I challenge you in week one that in your home, it needs to be a place that's safe, a place for kids to come and feel safe and, and feel like it's a place they can escape a lot of what's going on in the world. And we're really preparing them, and it ought to be green that we're growing them in that space. And we're not protecting them from that world because it's a world they have to live in. But we're giving them a space where they do feel protected from it and sending them back out into it and letting them come in and in and out. It's almost like they're retreating back to the home base and, and catching their breath and going back into battle. That's the way a believer ought to view the entire world and how they're raising up their children to send them out into the world as warriors to engage in this thing called spiritual warfare and make a difference and, and spread the truth of the gospel, the good news of Christ. But it also ought to be fun, okay? Like they ought to know that to be a believer doesn't mean that it's, it's stale and staunchy. It ought to be like the most fun you could have as a human being if Jesus is real and God actually created us and we say that we have his word, then we ought to be enjoying life more than anybody else on the planet because we're walking with the one who created life itself and he is giving us that life. And I, I challenge you with the, you know, the secret to parenting. It's treating your kids the way God treats you. That's what a successful parent does. And then we too, I challenged you with, if you're going to do that, you need firsthand experience. Like you need to know how God treats you. And so if you kind of have an idea and you know God from a distance, you kind of know how he treats you from a distance because you really don't know that much about him. But the more intimate you get with him and the closer your walk is with him, the more you understand how he treats you, how he deals with you, the more you understand about his attributes, who he is. That's why the word of God is so important. It teaches us all about who God is and who we are in his story that he is um, scripting here in history. And so the, the more that we walk with him and have that firsthand experience, the better parents that we can be to our kids, uh, the better fathers, the better mothers and the better husbands and wives uh, that we could be. And grandparents, some of you are like, man, I wish I would have had this years ago. It doesn't matter when you get it, because here's the deal. It's that as long as you have kids, you're influencing them. Um, and even after you die, I told you guys that the most influential man in my life is my dad. And he died in 2010. But I think about him all the time. Um, as a matter of fact, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't think about him. And my mom and my dad are the most influential people in my lives. And some, some would say, well, you know, what about people who grew up without their mom and dad? A lot of times that's still the most influential person in a person's life. Um, a deadbeat dad can have a lot of oppressive experiences for a kid. And so parents, 
men are, are so vitally important um, to the development of, of their children. And we have to understand that because when we look at this world, what we'll see, what is happening in society is just a major attack on the family. And it, more so than it has ever been in my lifetime. And the family is, is it, here's why that is the case is that because the more the family is fractured, the greater the society can be broken down. And so the enemy in this thing, the spiritual warfare, God in the beginning has created the family and said, this is a divine institution. And he ordains this thing. And he says, this is, this is the way things are going to be managed in creation. All of creation was to be managed by a family. Not a government. It was the first family was charged with managing the creation. And so now there's this attack on the family because the more the family breaks down, the greater society suffers. And so like we have to be aware of this and realize, hey, man, there's always going to be something coming against my family, trying to tear it down, trying to make it less than it's supposed to be. And as a man of God, as a woman of God, even as children um, in the home, uh, in a godly home, like our objective is to recognize that we're in a war here, and the kingdom of God um, is about the good news of the gospel changing people, and so it ought to be reflected in a Christian home. People ought to be able to look at a Christian home and go, man, this thing looks a lot different than a lot of the other homes of the, 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 uh, that are in our subdivision. And so... It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be that a Christian home looks exactly like everybody else's home. And, and the reason for that is not because we have a lot of rigid rules that we follow. It's because we know God. We know Him intimately. And we're yielding to Him. And He is blessing our lives. He's making us fruitful. He's helping us um, as we lay down our lives as living sacrifices, Shay did a great job last week talking about how we're to be living sacrifices. As we lay that down, then God is pouring out his blessing in our lives. And, and, and as that blessing falls on us, people can recognize, man, there's something different about these people as opposed to some people that, that, I, you know, that aren't walking that way. And it helps them to come along and learn more about the Lord as well. And so when we take all of this and we put it together, what we see is that we've got this, this safe space that is to be there, this fun place, this place of growth and development. We've got this firsthand experience with God. And then we have this idea of marriage. And marriage is like, it's so important because it is the master's model. Like it is, it is how... It is how kids can see what they need to see and how they can learn how to function in the world that we live in. This is what God said in the beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh, okay? And so the two no longer function as two. They are now to function as one. And that's what is attacked in the family all the time. It's the, the enemy's always going to try to come against you and your marriage and try to get the two to function as two instead of one. 
And once we can start to recognize that, then we can start to understand what's happening in any given situation. And, and so like um, in marriage, we're no longer viewed by God as two people. He looks at us and, and we've gone before uh, a, a minister and we've gone before him and, and our friends and family and we've said to him, Lord, don't look at us as two anymore. Look at us as one. Make us into one. And in this new relationship, it is to be elevated above all other relationships, above that relationship that you had with your mother, that relationship that you had with your father. Now your relationship with your husband is elevated above that. And, and it, 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 it's, it's moved. I remember um, when, I, uh, when I proposed to Abby, let me get all sentimental on y'all today. I, uh, I was nervous about going up and, and talking to her parents, and uh, I called her mom, and I called down there, you know, they, this is before everybody had a cell phone, and her, I said, uh, yes, can I speak to Mr. Baldwin? And she said, sure. And she says, <laughs> she says, there's someone on the phone that wants to speak to Mr. Baldwin, of course, she knew who I was. <laughs> and... Uh, and so I told him I'd like to come down and see him. So I went down to see him, and he and I had, had, had gotten pretty close. We, we had a lot of similarities um, and uh, a love for the Lord. And anyway, I went down and, and talked to them and, and uh, told them that I, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask Abby to marry me. And boy, he kind of put me through the ringer. He said, well, didn't you, didn't you break up with Abby not too long ago? <laughs> yeah, yes, sir, I did. He said, didn't you tell her you didn't love her? You weren't sure if you loved her. And I said, I did. And he said, well, what's that about? I wasn't planning on telling all this. <laughs> and I said, well, man, I said, you know, I got a little nervous. And I said, I, I, I just, I, I got worried. And I had to navigate through that. I knew that if, if things didn't change, like this wasn't a good decision for me. But as I wrestled through it, I recognized, man, love is not a feeling. It's not something that I'm going to feel. It's something that I'm making a commitment to. And, uh, and he liked the answer, thankfully. <laughs> anyway, I, I proceeded to um, ask for her hand in marriage, and he began to talk to me about how he thought Abby would make a great minister's wife, and, and she has. And, uh, but after, at the end of the conversation, um, he, I got up and I gave his gave her mom a hug, and then I went to give him a hug, and I gave him a hug, and he grabbed a hold of me. Boy, this just still gets me. Every time I tell this story, it gets me. And he grabbed a hold of me, and I gave him a hug, and I was ready to let go. You know how a bro hug is. And he wouldn't let me go. As I went to let, he held me, and he pulled me in tight. And he said to me, take care of my Abigail. And and it hit me right there in that moment. I was like, I, I, I left and I got in my truck. It was an hour and a half drive home. And I thought, that man just gave me his daughter. That's just what happened there. He just, and so when, when I say that it's to be elevated above all other relationships, at, at that moment in that marriage and that committal of, between the two of us and God seeing us as one, it was no longer Abby was going to honor her father she was going to honor me. It was no longer I was going to honor my father. I was going to honor her 
above my father. That doesn't mean that I'm to dishonor them, but it does mean that she is to take priority in all other relationships. A man is to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one. And so that's like when we think of this relationship of marriage, that's what's going on when God brings two people together. And so in this marriage, like nothing is to be withheld between the two. Nothing. Like you study... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you read that, just kind of put that down there in your notes. And it says, a husband's body does not belong to him, it belongs to his wife. A wife's body does not belong to her, it belongs to her husband. Like, nothing is to be withheld. And so in this in this union is to come this, this thing that is elevated above every other relationship and nothing to be withheld between the two. And so God ordained this marriage as the vehicle that was going to model his character, was going to model his values. So he says, be fruitful and multiply. Go out and manage, subdue the earth, manage all of creation, multiply, and the family, this, this husband and this wife, is going to be the vehicle by which I bring a new soul into the planet, and by which when that soul comes into the planet, he's going to learn what I'm like. Now, here's what the enemy has done. The enemy, the enemy has fractured the family. And so now we sort of put off the responsibility. We want to put off our responsibility for everything onto something else. We want the government to fix things. When we see a breakdown in society, we think we need a new law. And, um, and so we, we, look to, uh, we look to the church to develop our kids spiritually. We look to the pastors and the, and the kids' um, uh, ministers and, and, and the people, the Sunday school classes or whatever, if you will. And we want them to... like. Teach our kids. So we're always, we always, if we're not careful, are looking for other ways. And these ways are not bad. They, they're good. They're, government is good for the protection of the people and, and, and law. And, and obviously the church is good and it should come alongside of us and help us. But what we cannot do is begin to think that it's the church's job or the minister's job to develop my kids for Christ. It's not. We didn't bring those kids into this world, they're yours. You are the priest of your home. You're the priestess of your home. And so your job is to develop those young souls for the Lord. And what's fascinating about this is behind the four walls of a home, children watch two souls interact really close. And here's your first takeaway. What they see is what they will be. Not where you go to church. Not... not, uh, what the preacher says, not because you say you're a believer. It's what they see you doing is what they will become. It's what they see. Now, again, we say, well, wait a minute. What about, what about kids who don't grow up in that? Certainly, we're not saying this is, this is hard and fast. What, what we are saying, like because somebody can grow up without parents, obviously, and become a follower of Jesus. But what we're saying, if we want to do what's best for our kids... We need to understand that kids want to be like their parents. And as as we're showing our kids what it is like to follow the Lord, they see that and they want to follow hard after it and it makes it easier for them. And so we want to do all that we can to show them 
what it looks like to follow Jesus. Again, that's why this whole thing of having firsthand of ex- experience of what it means to know the Lord and follow him, is that's how we become incredible parents. It's not by reading all these other books. It's not by, uh, and again, nothing wrong with books, but if you're not getting some firsthand experience from the creator of the universe, the ultimate parent, then it's more difficult for you to parent and become the ultimate parent to your kids. And so originally... What we see in this creation story is that God has designed the family to be this place where this happens. It is to be a place where nothing is withheld between these two people. And it is to be a place that models all of this character and value that God has instilled in these two people um, to the uh, offspring that comes into the world through this union. And originally, Adam and Eve were not ashamed of anything. In fact, they just walked around naked. Just let that picture sit there for a minute. What if everybody in the world just walked around naked? We can't even go there. It's because we're dealing on the other side of sin, and, and we're dealing with shame now. And so because of that, whenever sin entered the world, the first thing that they did was cover up. As soon as they were disobedient, they initiated cover-up. And humans are experts at hiding things from each other. We do it all the time. And we hide behind an image that we create. And we can hide behind the image of what our home looks like, the image of how our clothes are, the image of, of our, uh, our vehicles, of our jobs. And, and, and so our identity can get wrapped up in all of these things. And what's fascinating in the last 10 years, what has happened in social media, now our image is, is reduced down to what we can capture in photos. And we can put on a thread and everybody thinks this is what our life is like. And so people are like, man, I, they do all these things and they snap them. And they, uh, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but... <laughs> What I will say is, the peop- I think the people that post a whole lot, and they're always posting this stuff, sometimes I question whether do they really have a life, or are they just trying to make people think they do? Because I don't have time to do all that, and I guess I'm a weird troller anyway. Uh, but anyway, let me get back on task. And so we hide from each other, and sometimes in, in, in that, using that, even that mode, we can hide from the world by an, behind an image that we're, pro, we're projecting. You can hide, you, you could be in a position like mine and be in ministry and doing something that all of the world looks at and goes, man, that's, that's, that's great, you know, that guy's given his life to that. But you can hide behind that. You could hide behind how successful you are at uh, being able to move the kingdom. But the fact of the matter is, is we, we got to get right down to who you are in the Lord and how you're able to live openly in front of other people. Because our temptation is to be just like Adam and Eve and wear fresh fig leaf suits around town. And that's what we do. That's what we do. And you know what? Here's how you know that's what you do. Every time you have company, what's the first thing you got to do? That's right. You got to clean the house up. Because you can't let them know that you actually have dirty dishes all the time. Right? <laughs> It comes a point if you have too many kids, you just have to give up. And you just go, ah, this, this is who we are, man. Um, <laughs> and so, but, but when we're not having company, in the comfort of our homes, we let our guard down. 
And that's what makes marriage so incredible as a model for our kids, is what they see inside the home is the real deal, okay? It's not covered up by the fig leaves. Like, it's open. And so they get to see it for all that it is. And as one soul watches two souls interact, it develops its characters and its values. So this little child that you've brought into the world, even from a very young age, like they, they, will, they, will mo- they will imitate you. They do what you do. You don't even have to tell them. When Joel was a little guy, we, we saw him up on the, the hearth at the fireplace, and um, he, he was standing there, and he went, he couldn't talk. And he was mimicking me, as, and we were like, how does he even know? Well, we had monitors in the nursery. And during the sermon, when they would put it on in the nursery, he could see me up there, and he's at home imitating it. Because I was his dad, and that's just what, that's what kids do, man. They, they imitate their mothers and their fathers. And so in the midst of this um, authentic environment, um, kids are being shaped. And so you are the most significant person in your child's life, and I want to challenge you. Like, that's why we're taking time to, like, go through this, is I want to challenge you to be the best model you can be. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is the Greek word mimetes. It means to be an imitator. So imitate me as I imitate Jesus. In um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9, he says this, We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. That is the Greek word tupas, and it means the mark of a blow, an impression, like you hit something and you make a blow, you make an impression on it. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, right there around uh, verses 4 through 6, the, the, when, when Moses was given the law by God, he told the people, uh, this thing is called the Shema. It's this great commandment that Jesus referred to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then he says, he says impress this on your kids. And he uses the word, uh, a Hebrew word that means uh, this, where we get our word wet, like a wet rock. You know what a wet rock is? Only a couple of you. <laughs> it's what you sharpen a knife with. And so you make that, that, that you bring the, a fine edge on that blade by using precision and balance and friction, and you're, you make this thing sharp by wetting it against a stone. And so on all of these ideas is that our job as parents is to impress on our kids what God is like. Now, if you don't know what you're doing and you try to sharpen a knife, you'll just make it duller and duller. And the only way you can know what you're doing is by having some experience doing it. And the more experience you have at doing it, the better you get at a thing. And so that's why it's so important, as I um, uh, established in, in week two of this series, is that you need firsthand experience with the Lord of following Him. Not just coming to church, but following Him. Learning how to lay your life down as a living sacrifice before the Lord. And as you do that, then He begins to wet you. He begins to sharpen you. He begins to impress on you. He begins to tupas through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And you surround yourselves with other people. Now, this is where the church becomes important because you want to find a a pastor and ministers who will teach you the word, who will lead you in the word and help you to understand it is the word that will help that impression to be made on your life. And then you have models around you that are trying to do the same thing. And we begin to help each other and we strengthen each other. And we, because now we're seeing each other as the model. And so we become a family of God, and so the thing that is to happen in the micro, in the home, that is ordained of God, is ordained in the church, the body of Christ, in the macro, now we are a spiritual family watching each other, helping each other being models, memetes, we memetes, there's the tupas, and there is that whole impressing upon each other how to follow the Lord. And what we see in each other, this is why it's so important for you to choose a ministry where the Word of God is taught, and, and, and it's, it's not more um, being influenced by culture than it is the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, you can recognize that clearly through the preaching and teaching of the Word. And that ought to be the, always the number one thing that you're making a decision about where are you going to place your family. Let's say you, you get relocated this summer and you have to move across the country. You're like, we got to find another church. You don't go look for another church that's got a great youth group. You don't go look for another church that has great worship. You don't go look for another church that has a great program. You better find a church that preaches and teaches the Word. Amen. Otherwise, it's gonna get, you're going to get an impression made on you that can very easily be something from the outside world that is more important than the Word of God itself. And so the first thing that you have to understand if you want to be the best parent that you possibly can be is to recognize that what kids see is what they'll be. Here's the second takeaway. Because of that, make your home a shelter, not a zoo. Make your home a shelter of development, a place where kids are the safe, this, this learning environment, this fun place. Make it a place where it is a shelter, not a zoo. Now, to say that we are to, to be authentic in the home, okay? To say it is one thing. To be it is another. Achieving authenticity in marriage is difficult, but it is an incredible gift that you can give to your kids. Authenticity does not come naturally. Now, when I say, when you get behind the four walls of the the home, kids are seeing the real deal, it doesn't mean that they're seeing what's actually authentic. It just means that they're seeing the real thing. They're not seeing a cover-up. They're seeing what actually mom and dad believe, how actually mom and dad function, what actually does it look like to be married. They see that inside uh, the home. And so like, if we're going to have homes to where we're doing all that we can to impress upon our kids the things of the Lord and teach them his value and his character, then what we have to do is achieve authenticity. Because... Once you get, like, before the ink is dry on the marriage license, someone's going to experience some emotional pain. Like, this thing is all like, where are we getting married? <laughs> the day after, right? What did I just do, right? Um, so, we know, like, we frustrate one another, okay? And so there's pain that comes in at some point in time, the longer we're together, that pain shows up. And the typical human reaction to emotional pain is pride and self-pity. 
So when I get hurt, I become prideful and um, I start having a, sort of a pity party on the inside. And I, I start to make the whole thing about me. And if we don't recognize what is happening, when it is happening, then we end up digging in and declaring war. And so I call these evil elephants, right? These are evil elephants that exist inside the home. Now, I know this because this happened to me. Like, man, when I was, when Abby and I, when we, when we got married, <clears throat> the first few months, like, it was rough. Like, we didn't fight a lot, but it was an adjustment for me as, as a, a, a guy who had been a bachelor for a while to all of a sudden have somebody, like, like, there all the time. And so we had this period of a few months that we had to navigate through, and it was kind of an awkward experience. Let me tell you how bad it was, just so you, so you don't think, oh, well, he's just saying that. Um, when I was a youth pastor, and uh, I taught the senior high Sunday school class, probably had about 15 kids in that class, 15 or 20 on a Sunday morning. And uh, after class one day, I, I dismissed all the kids, and then we were to go in, up into the big church like this on a Sunday morning. And uh, all the kids left out, and Abby is sitting there, and after all the kids walk out of the room, she breaks down in tears at church. And I look at her, and I said, what is wrong? And she starts bawling. And says, my dad was right. I never should have got married. <laughs> I'm the associate pastor of the church. <laughs> I've got to go back out there. And I was like, oh, this, this. so, I, you know, this, is, this, was a, this was a very weird experience for both of us, right? And, and so I didn't, like, I just embraced her. And I held her and I said, it's going to be okay. And she managed to pull it back together and and uh, we, we made it through the day, and ultimately, you know, um, we, we got a great marriage, man. We, we've been doing this for 25 years. We've, we've, got, we've hit a lot of bumps in the road. But, but we, man, I love this woman, and, and it, like I, it was in that moment. I used to think, how could anybody get a divorce? I used to think that. How could, I just can't see how anybody could get a divorce. In that first five months of my marriage, I was like, I see how somebody can get a divorce now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, I don't know. Oh, so what I'm getting at is there are these moments that happen like this. There are these moments where, where it's, someone's hurt, and, and you got to be able to navigate through those. And so we learned early how to do that, and, and it took us a while. And I often look back on that and go, why did the Lord let me go through that? Why did he, he take us through that? And I really think it was all about preparing uh, me for life and, and being able to help other people because we still have those experiences. We still have these moments. She's never cried at church like that and said she did, didn't want to marry me. I'm sure she's felt that way before, though. Uh, but but, but the, the point I'm trying to get you to see here is, is that there are moments that happen all the time in our marriage that we have to recognize that are like this, that are similar to this. Not, not as, as, as grandiose, if you will, but, but there are moments where, where things happen and one of, the, one of us gets hurt emotionally. And our typical reaction is, um, again, this pride and self-pity and to, and to withdraw. Instead of dealing with the problem, instead of looking and going, there's an elephant here. Instead of, see, we want to be silent, and we go, oh, I'm going to show her. I'm going to give her the silent treatment. And just be mad. Don't talk in the morning. 
Don't, don't talk and then you just, 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 just dig in and hold your ground because you're going to teach them a lesson. No, you're not. You're destroying your marriage. That's what I'm trying to get you to see is you're destroying your marriage when you start functioning that way. What we have to do is we have to go deeper and we have to deal with the elephant. We have to, we have to, we have to go, man, deep relationships happen when I recognize what is going on. This is an attack on my marriage. And we must realize that the elephant is not how, I, it's not the actions that the other person is doing. It's not what they're doing. It's what I feel right now. And I've got to be able to communicate how I'm feeling right now, how I'm hurt, not, hey, you did this. And you, you, when you start pointing out the other person's actions, you're engaging in a war, not resolution. When you start engaging in, hey, man, like, this is how I'm feeling on the inside. The other person is like, really? You're feeling that? I didn't know. And, and it's totally a different experience. And it, the, the way we know where to, to function this way is Ephesians tells us, In chapter 4, verse 25, again, the Apostle Paul, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Okay? This is to your neighbor. All right? Your your spouse is your closest neighbor. And so you, you have to, this is how you're to function in all of your relationships. And so you go, well, I'm not married right now, or my, my spouse is deceased, or I'm divorced, or whatever. How, wh- how does this apply to me? This is how we function in all relationships. It's just that when it comes into the home, we ought to, like, we have to be doing it there. If we're not doing it there, we're not going to do it outside the home. And the more we can do it inside the home, the greater our ability to do it outside the home and the greater the model we're giving our kids. And so deep relationships happen when we recognize this and we begin to to deal with it and don't give the enemy a foothold. Okay, see, if he gets a foothold, then he starts tripping you up. That's what a foothold is, is you're trying to get movement and he trips you up and you're stumbling all the time. And, And when that elephant comes in and you have this experience, if you don't deal with it and talk about it and you don't drive it out, then the elephant starts to take up all the relational space because the enemy has a foothold. And so great models for marriage are models that are dynamic and authentic, not structured and legalistic. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is a lot of times a parent, a Christian parent especially, feels like, well, if we're Christians, then we got to do these things. Like we, we got to make sure that we don't, let, we don't ever let our kids see us fight. I think that's crazy. Like I, my, I want my kids to see me argue with my wife sometimes because I don't want them growing up in this fantasy thing thinking that we don't ever have arguments so that whenever they hit an argument with their spouse, I want them to know how to navigate through it. How did mom and dad work through that? And so we don't try to protect them from that. They see when we get angry with each other. And they also see us navigate through it. They, they see us, uh, uh, you know, when you're, getting mar- when you're married for long enough, eventually you, your fight, you kind of try to argue, and then you start laughing at each other. <laughs> and it's kind of a good thing when you can come to that point and recognize how stupid the argument is. But, but w- what we want to do is we want to be authentic and be real in front of our kids. And so here's how, here's how you dig deep as a believer, trying to, to live in a marriage um, that looks like uh, really, it looks like the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You got the man, the woman, and the Holy Spirit. God uh, forming the, the same kind of thing inside of a marriage. 
is the first thing, like a, a key to digging into that depth is humility. It's humility. Pride always leads to resentment and creates a wedge. And humility always does the opposite. And generally, when you can't reconcile in a relationship, it has more to do with pride than anything else. This is why James, the brother Jesus, said, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before God, and he will elevate you above the situation that you're struggling with. So you have to humbly admit there is a problem, and then God will elevate um, that relationship above that problem. So this is like you can't miss this, okay? This is so important. I think it's the key to a a, a vibrant marriage is humility. I think it's the key to a vibrant walk with Jesus. It's humility. It's the key to deep relationships in all areas of life, whether we're talking work life, school life, or home life. Humility is so vitally important. The second one is vulnerability. Risk is always involved when you're building deep relationships. It's always involved. And, and opening up and admitting there's a problem can be terrifying because you don't, one, you feel pride and you feel like I'm the right one in this. I shouldn't be having to bring it up. They should understand and recognize. And so the, you, if you're not careful, you get caught in this and you have, to, uh, you have to humble yourself and then you have to be vulnerable. You also have to recognize if your spouse is being humble and vulnerable, you need to be humble. You need to hear you need to be quick to hear, slow to speak. You go, why is my spouse saying this? Why is this even being brought up? Instead of all of a sudden going to the default place and going, they're attacking me. They go, no, they're not attacking me. They really feel something inside. And so a believer ought to be do, able to do the same thing when they're interacting with a coworker or whatever. Is Why is a person saying this? They say, well, they're a stupid idiot. That's why they're saying it. That's pride. And that's pride. Humility goes, well, there's a reason they're saying this. And, and so we have to be vulnerable in that. And the, the, the terror comes because we know we can get hurt deeper once we become vulnerable. But you overcome your fear and be vulnerable. And here's the third element to it. You have faith. Okay, you have to have faith. You have to have faith. Um, you have to believe that God will be there in the moment. So as, as a believer, you're like, you know the Lord said the two shall be one, and you're like, Lord, help us live out our oneness in this. I got I to gotta, I gotta talk to my uh, spouse about this, and, and I need you to be in it and ask him. And you also have to be <clears throat> believe in the other person because there's a lot of times that the other individual may not even be aware that there's a problem. They don't even know. And, and anytime we, and then you feel like they know because anytime you've tried to communicate, you've, you've had all these fights about it. And you look back, we've been fighting about this for five years. How could they not know? Because you never did really communicate. You just fought. You just, you're just lodging, um, launching hand grenades, man, and blowing stuff up. And so you got a bunch of wounded warriors running around in the house, and the kids are looking at it going, oh, I, I guess that's what marriage looks like. No, not for me. It's convicting, isn't it? They ought to be looking and going, oh, when somebody's wounded, they go and help the other one out, and they carry them back to safety. They don't just keep lobbing these hand grenades and tearing each other apart. They start to help one another, and they believe that the other person is in it. And so when kids see parents operating this way, it changes their lives. They see a model of Christ-like character before their eyes, 
And this is how we're supposed to live. This is how you live. You don't launch hand grenades at work. You don't launch hand grenades at school. When somebody says something about you and it's not true and you get upset about it, Caitlin, you don't pull the pin and throw another one back. You ask yourself, why is this? Now, ultimately, if a person is not functioning and trying to walk in a healthy manner, you do, you know, you, there's only so much you can do, but generally that's not the case. If we continually are walking toward resolution, then we will find that unity will come out of the situation. And so we, we look at all this and we go, okay, that's great, but nobody lives that way, Jimmy. Nobody lives that way. Maybe you guys do up here at the church, um, but nobody lives that way. Jesus did. John chapter 13 might be a good place to read today. It says that before he was crucified, to show them the full extent of his love, the 12 guys he had in a room after he was having this meal with them, as they were starting the meal, nobody washed anybody else's feet. Lowest job a person could do for anybody else. And nobody did it. And so Jesus gets up from the mill. He girds himself with a towel. And one by one, even Judas got his feet washed by Jesus. And so that's the character of Christ. And he said, nobody lives that way. That's the problem with America. It's not the politician. It's the church. Like, we got to walk in humility. We got to look and go, Am I living like Jesus? And we got to be challenged by that. And you go, Man, what, 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 is, what is the Lord calling me to do? There's three things that we, we could take away from what Jesus does there. First of all, verse one says that he showed them the full extent of his love. When we are authentic and we're, we're humble like that, we, we experience the full extent of love. And that's, man, that's what we need. In marriage, we need the full extent of love. In, in all of our relationships, we need to experience that full extent of love. Here's the second thing you need to understand. This is so important. Humility is not a human characteristic. It is spiritual. Like, humility is the supreme character trait of Jesus. He humbled himself and left his throne. He humbled himself and, and took on human flesh. He humbled himself and became a baby. He humbled himself, and when they hit him in the face, he didn't retaliate. He humbled himself when they beat him. He humbled himself as they mocked him on the cross and spit in his face. He humbled, he humbled, he humbled, he humbled. And as he walked in humility, God the Father elevated him above it all. Okay? It is the supreme characteristic of Christ. It is never going to be easy for you to be humble. It's never. And as soon as you say, I'm humble, you got a problem. Right? But we can learn to walk in it. And we can recognize when we're not wanting to be humble. Like, you will never want to be humble. That's why it's a weird word. But what you find is you can learn that when you do humble yourself, the Lord always shows up. 
He always shows up. And so it can, be, it can get easier to deal with the fear and the risk to be humble, but it's never easy. It's always a supernatural characteristic. It's always something that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, why we have to have firsthand experience. And here's, here's, the, here's the last thing. The devil cannot occupy relational space when we learn to wash feet. <laughs> he didn't know what to do with it. Like when we humble ourselves and wash each other's feet, when I tell Abby, I'm like, listen, I, this is what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling a little neglected in this area. I feel like you don't, like, like I'm, I'm feeling like you don't care about this. And she goes, you need to grow up. The devil's all over that. If she looks and goes, ah, I'm sorry. Like, like I, let me work on that. Sometimes she'll come to me. And she'll say, hey, I'm feeling this. And we learn, like we learn, we learn to, to instead of keep talking about it and go, hey, you know what? Well, I'm going to do it. We just learn, hey, give me some time. I need some time. And then I start working on it. I start praying about it. I let the Lord take me through it. And so humility comes and we move the devil out of our relationship. He can't occupy that because we're humbling ourselves before God. We're washing each other's feet in our relationships and he is moved out. He can't, he can't, he can't get a foothold right there. He's like, I can't get a hold of this couple. He can't get a hold of this couple because we got a hold of Jesus. And that's how you protect your marriage. And so the big idea of today's talk, be a foot washer, man. Be a foot washer. Just go out there and go, when you catch yourself going, am I washing feet? By what's coming out of my mouth right now, am I washing feet? And by what I'm doing right here, am I washing feet? But when I'm thinking, am I washing feet? And you will start to go, man, I, got, I, I'm, I don't like washing feet is what you'll recognize. And then you'll start wanting to. You'll start going, man, I, I think I can wash. I'm going to try this. I'm going I'm to try what Jimmy was talking about, man. And I'm going to try washing somebody's feet at work this week. I'm going to try washing my spouse's feet. And, and you'll see in that moment when you catch your mouth and you wash feet instead, you'll see that you push that elephant, that wedge out. The enemy can't um, operate in that. He has no um, place for relational space. He's moved out, and God moves in. You get a hold of Jesus, and Jesus gets a hold of the relationship, and unity starts to happen, and people go, man, those people really seem to love each other, which is how, how Jesus said they would know us, by the love that we have for one another. Be a foot washer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of marriage. We pray for those, Lord, who may be here today who are struggling a bit. We pray that this word will help them. We pray that they would know they're not alone, like, like the, that we can help each other, that they can always reach out. And we pray, Lord, um, we pray for each of our marriages and, and, and the love that we have and the spouses that are in this room that we would receive what we've heard and we would, we would walk it out. And you would take us to places and depths in our relationships that we didn't know, we didn't even know existed. And we pray, Lord, that um, we'd be a light, <laughs> not a light of judgment, to the world, but a light of hope, and that we would help those around us, and we would 
beyond our, our marriages, Lord, in all of our relationships, relationships with our parents, our relationships with our kids, our coworkers, our neighbors. Lord, we would just look for ways to wash feet, and we would find, as we take on this character trait of yours, humility, Lord, we will find you in that blessing us in ways we didn't know were possible. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.